Welcome to episode seven of Timberwolves Tip to Tap. That's tip as in tip off for the Minnesota Timberwolves and tap as in the best the Twin Cities craft beer scene has to offer. I'm Dan Hilton, frontman for indie rock bands, Southern Resident Killer Whales and Sunder's Dream and co-host of the other pod, uh, basketball podcast you've never heard, First Team All Nonsense podcast. And I'm Josh Dye, the president and founder of the Convene Training and Resilience Community, and we are so excited to welcome you to the only podcast in the world to focus on the Twin Cities and now Minnesota craft beer scene and the stay after class Minnesota Timberwolves. And Dan, we have something very exciting today. We have our first ever guest on Timberwolves, tip to tap. It's a Jaywack. Jaywack is with us. Jerry, how do you pronounce your name? Yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, thanks for having me on. First off, um, yeah, my last name is Wackles. It's it's a mess to pronounce, and uh, almost no one gets it right, and that's just fine. That's interesting. Yeah. My my daughter uh, used to call waffles Wackles when she was three. So it's interesting. <laughs> she's the first person ever to reverse that mistake. I've, I've gotten yeah. waffles a lot before, but she's she's starting a revolution the other way. I like it. <laughs> So Jerry is the site manager of the website Ball Eyes North, which you can find at balleyesnorth.com. And you can also follow Ball Eyes North on Twitter at Ball Eyes North and on Instagram as well. Jerry, what can Timberwolves fans find at balleyesnorth.com? Yeah, so uh, great question. Balleyesnorth.com it, it began as just kind of a way to get uh get articles out there that are a little more from a, a fan perspective um how the team makes you feel what you generally like to see or or dislike seeing uh, on the court and and i'm not i'm not a basketball expert i am i would say a timberwolves expert having sat through <laughs> many 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 games over the past 15 years and, and so with that i decided that qualified me to write about it from a fan's perspective um, I don't go too deep into crazy advanced stats or, or all of these other things, which there's some great people out there that do that. Um, on my site, you'll find more post-game analysis about how who I felt played well, my general thoughts on the game and general thoughts on the team moving forward, as well as some kind of longer blog articles about certain players and their future potential, um, you know, lessons we can learn from other teams to developing our team. So um, again, much more from a fan's perspective, and it's really fun so far. I hope people check it out. And one thing that I thought is kind of cool is uh, both in terms of your presence on your Twitter uh, feed, which is where I interact with you the most, but also on your on your website to some extent. Um, you're sort of like a curator of Wolves content. So like you're promoting when other, you know, like a podcast comes out or an article comes out, you're really quick to like, hey, and some of that is like you're consuming this stuff. And so being involved there, but also sharing it out and then just sort of like kind of people knowing that you go to Ball Eyes North and you're going to get sort of a hub of some of this content. You like direct people to other places. And I think that's a, a really cool um, way to approach it. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, you know, uh, again, I'm not the, the expert by any means. There's so many awesome writers and bloggers and, and content producers, especially just in the Timberwolves area. And I consume it all just as a fan. And I, I have for a long time. And um, I want other people to as well. And so I like to try and amplify those, those as much as I can, but throwing my own stuff out there as well. 
So awesome. some of uh, recent blog posts or yeah, articles that are on Ball Eyes North right now, we have Tampa Towns, five thoughts on a Wolves win, bugged, five thoughts on the Wolves loss to the Hornets. Uh, one that looks really interesting, introducing your 2022-2023 Minnesota Timberwolves. And one that I want to talk about here, not the article per se, but the concept, five thoughts on the roller coaster Timberwolves. Now, Dan, Jerry, I want you to think about your favorite amusement parks and names of favorite amusement park rides or just any amusement park ride, even if it was one that you hated. And if you had to say that this Timberwolves team most closely represents this amusement park ride, I will go first. Growing up in Iowa, we had an amusement park called Adventureland. And Adventureland <laughs> had a ride called the Silly Silo, where you would... <laughs> basically be along a wall and it would go around in circles very fast until you were dizzy and wanted to vomit. And that to me is the ride that most closely <laughs> explained the Timberwolves fan experience, the silly silo. Uh, Jerry, what about you? Yeah, I'm thinking of, uh, I come from, I'm from uh, Delano, Minnesota and there's a huge 4th of July carnival in Delano every year. Um, and I, when I was a kid, we'd all go to it and there was this ride called the zipper. And I bet every carnival around the country has some form of the zipper. It's one of those where it's like a Ferris wheel, except it spins way faster and your carriage is spinning too. And, and you're going way up and way down and it's just, it's incredibly disorienting. And, (laughs) and, um, Often there's a lot of people who don't like going on that ride, um, but the people who do are diehards and you can't get them mm. off of it. Uh, so I'm going to go with the zipper for the diehard it creates and the disorientation it creates. That's a great example. Dan, any thoughts on this one? Yeah, I'm going to go with the Big Dipper roller coaster, uh, which was located at Krug Park in Omaha, Nebraska. In July 24, 1930, it fell 35 feet to the ground, killing four people and injuring 17. (laughs) Speaks for itself. So, Jerry, (laughs) other than Kevin Garnett, who would be, and I'm not saying that Kevin Garnett is your favorite Timberwolf of all time, but I wanted to remove him from the equation. Uh, Who's your favorite Timberwolves player of all time, excluding Kevin Garnett? That's a very fair way to ask that question because I would imagine any Timberwolves fan who is over 10 years old is going to always say Kevin Garnett. Um, and it's. Uh, and why is it, it Corey Brewer? And, <laughs> because he scored 51 points in a game. Um, it, it's still Carl Anthony Towns. I love the guy. Um, you know, Anthony Edwards, we'll see. We're, we're getting, we're building up, building up to, to that point. But yeah, it's, it's the big cat. And he's just, he's just a joy, especially when he's going well. And you see him smiling out there. He's he's as good as it gets to watch. Yeah. Okay, Jerry. Now, briefly, I want to talk about uh, a couple of your previous job roles. So when I look at your LinkedIn profile here, I see that you served as an inside sales associate for the Minnesota Timberwolves from October 2015 to June of 2016. And for those who don't know, Jerry's the guy who, if you had ever purchased tickets directly through the Timberwolves box office, your name and phone number gets on a list where Jerry calls you, usually at about 10 in the morning. It's like, hey, Josh, uh, what are you thinking about the Timberwolves lately? (laughs) To which I would always bite on that. And then Jerry would attempt to uh, sell you tickets. Now, Jerry... 
did you enjoy this role? I see you held it for, for nine months. Tell us what's it like to serve as an inside sales associate for the Timberwolves? Oh man, that is, that's a loaded question there. Um, no, it's, And if you can sell the Timberwolves. <laughs> we'll can, talk about Jerry's results in a moment because I have some stats. You can pretty much sell anything if you can sell. So that would have been my, I worked full season uh, would have been, I believe, 2015, 16. So it was mm-hmm. Carl's first, Carl's rookie year. So the oh, coming nice. off of the 16 win season where they <laughs> really got the yeah. first overall pick. So it was, it was tough, but that was another one of those, uh, the t- hope with the Timberwolves kind of goes up and down and it crescendos and the hope was certainly crescendoing that season. That was a um, super fun year of that when, when people talk about a team that is fun to watch even if they're not winning that yep. is a perfect like zach it was that his, one yep. yeah yeah zach and andrew and carl and, and kg was on on the team uh back he didn't play a whole lot oh, that yeah. year, but he started the season um so there was stuff to sell um but yeah it's really tough being an inside sales associate for the timberwolves what I will say, the saving grace is you're also a sales associate for the links. And that is ah. really fun because when you're calling mm. those people, it's a lot of really passionate fans who mm-hmm. want to talk about a really, really good team. And obviously that year, um, when I started there, my first week that October, the links won the championship. And so then I was working basically their whole off season selling tickets for the next season and a lot of people want to buy tickets for a team that just won a championship yeah so i would say that was kind of the redeeming quality of the job selling for the links too well that's cool that you were you know as somebody who is so passionate yourself able to do that it's not like you were like uh, say selling kirby vacuums or you know something that (laughs) sorry <laughs> Harkening back to what did Josh just pass jobs, but yeah, not like it, you know, the sort of thing where guys like selling dishwashers one week and then you know this the next week and like you're you're applying something that you knew something about and we're happy to have those conversations mm-hmm. about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One correction, Dan. It's not a Kirby vacuum. It's a Kirby home maintenance system. Uh, vacuums are things <laughs> that you can buy in the store, but Kirby was uh, a full-featured home maintenance system. Uh, and finally, I said I had some stats on the uh, Timberwolves. Uh, the year that Jerry was their sales, not reflecting any of Jerry's uh, skills, but the Wolves. Jerry, I think you made a difference here because the Wolves were not last in attendance that year. They were second to last in attendance that year. I believe Jerry's efforts in the sales department maybe pushed them over over the edge. Nice. I wouldn't, wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about some beer. Dan, let me... Yeah. Uh, let me, you can give your your official introduction to the beer segment here. <laughs> yeah, you cut me off on the knees because I, did, I was yeah. going to say that we're going to make like the bright citrus notes and towering hop flavors and go right into the beer. Um, and since we're generally unable or unwilling to record shows on site during the pandemic, we are actually looking outside the Twin Cities this pod. We should have done like the record scratch when you were saying... You know, the Twin Cities craft beer scene. What? No, we're outside the Twin Cities. Uh, Where are we headed, Josh? We are headed to the North Shore of Minnesota and Castle Danger Brewing. Castle Danger is based in the beautiful Two Harbors, Minnesota at 17 7th Street. But many of their beers are available in the Twin Cities at your local liquor store. And you can check them out at Castle Danger Brewery.com. 
www.thenorthshore.com. Now, Dan, you and your family love the North Shore. You take at least a trip or two there every year, and you have been to Castle Danger on a number of occasions. I believe it's always on your list each time you go. Tell us about the Castle Danger taproom experience. Right. So, yeah, we're up there for camping, for spring break trips, so on, often ending up in in two harbors where one of our favorite activities is just to kind of just head out onto the basalt, like slick rock right out by the the water's edge and just kind of hang around all day. And at least once during each trip, it's a point of making it over to the Castle Danger Brewery, which has a great indoor vibe. But one of the wonderful things, they have this tremendous patio and it overlooks the the water it's kind of a harbor at that point where the um, large ore boats come in and get loaded up with taconite you're kind of right near that waters and it's not like right at the water's edge but it's just this tremendous uh, tremendous location and I have so many fond memories of being there and I know this year they've <laughs> they've kept the patio going through the pandemic with you know heated space like a lot of breweries have and everything and it's I've been we, we were able to make it up once um, just for like a day trip last April and then this last fall when I went up there I my annual one-on-one basketball road trip with my brother <laughs> we we spent uh one, well, we we headed to uh, uh, two harbors. And it was like mid-September, very unseasonably warm weather, and we were able to have just this great patio experience. So, highly recommend that. Um, they're really sort of all in on community, um, including the the beer I'm going to be talking about in a minute is is uh, one of the ways they're really sort of community-minded and giving back. But uh, they have great beer, and and they are one of the larger breweries in the state where they're they're offering, like you said, you know, you can get their a, a number of their products here locally. Um, so, yeah. So, what beer are you drinking? Do you want to share information about? Yeah. All right. So, what I am drinking is the White Pine Project IPA. I was not even aware that it was available locally. I, it was something I stumbled across in their tap room a few years ago. I think it's like a, a spring seasonal. But um, you know, the there's like three native species of pine in Minnesota, and like a lot of sort of original growths of whatever sort of flora fauna in the world. There's like one percent of the original old growth remains in the state and and white pines are just these majestic wonderful trees that are like can get to like a hundred feet high and they're just just very emblemic emblic how do you say that anyway emblematic thank you of the north shore experience you know the smell the the sights everything and so they have with this beer they give a portion of the proceeds back to planting um reforesting the the white pines and so every time you buy it you know you're helping out that and it's thousands and thousands of trees every year so that's really cool and the thing that's interesting is when they're talking about the beer they kind of you know they talk about the the golden color and the citrus notes and all this and then they just kind of say the pine the pine uh notes in passing but i'm finding it to be very definitely the most piney tasting IPA I've ever had. Like it's really, I'm really catching it in the smell. It's super, super crisp. And it's just like um, a smell that means me a lot, a lot to me heading up there all the time. But this is just a, it's 
making me think North Shores, making me want to get back up there. But this is just a wonderful experience, this beer I'm drinking right now. So the White Pine Project IPA. Now, Jerry, when we reached out to you about joining us for this podcast, you were like, hey, I've got Castle Danger beer in the fridge right now. So what are you drinking and what do you enjoy from Castle Danger? Yeah, I've got the 17.7 Pale Ale, which, uh, as you said, with their address, it's uh, 17 17th Street or something like that. So it's named right. after their, their uh, address, 17.7 Pale Ale. It's just a nice, hoppy American ale, but a little bit of malt with it, too. So it's um, that's kind of my favorite kind, I would say, is uh, if you're keeping it a little less citrusy and uh, keeping it more towards the malty side and plenty of hops for me. I'm always... I'm always a hopped guy. So, um, yeah, it's this is definitely one of my favorites. And along with, I would say, their Ode IPA is, is what I would normally get at the liquor store. And that's so one that you'll find a lot. Yeah, the Ode, when we have that. Oh, no, that's fine. Our ongoing discussion about, you know, flagship, not a flagship. I think Ode is probably the one that would be considered their, yeah, their flagship, if anything was. Josh, what are you drinking? Uh, well, currently available oh, yeah. in stores uh, for Castle Danger for those who are not able to get up to two harbors but just need to hop around the, around the corner, the uh, Castle Cream Ale, the Ode IPA, the 17.7 Pale Ale, the North Shore Lager, the George Hunter Stout, the White Pine Project IPA, and Red Hop. So they give a nice variety available in the stores. And I'll just talk about the first Castle Danger beer I was ever introduced to, which was the Castle Cream Ale, uh, is one that was my intro point to uh, Castle Danger Brewing and have really enjoyed that over the years. Now, speaking of needing to enjoy beer to, or needing beer to enjoy <laughs> an experience, let's transition and talk about the Minnesota Timberwolves. But before we do that, but before we do that, Dan, as anxious as I am to get into Timberwolves talk, there is a very important initiative that we need to uh, raise awareness of in Minnesota in particular, and that's the Free the Growler initiative. Tell us more about Free the Growler and why it impacts Castle Danger and some other breweries in Minnesota. Well, it's interesting. We have this pretty progressive state in many ways but we have these ridiculous blue laws and in so many ways it seems like we're trying to play catch up and just do very common sense things to let you know breweries or whatever operate um in a way that makes sense um currently there's a a, a deal where if you brew under two hundred fifty thousand barrels a year you can have a tap room and I don't even know why that exactly, but that, that is what it is. But only under 20,000 barrels a year can you sell like on-site direct to consumers. So like growlers, crowlers, so on. And it, it really doesn't make sense. Castle Danger is one of those breweries that is producing at a volume where they are sort of cut out from being able to sell um, growlers. And so basically the free the growler, you'll see the hashtag free the growler on Twitter. And it, it basically would expand um, that range where you're allowed to sell on site from 20,000 barrels to 250,000 barrels. Basically there are only five of the, of 
America's 8,000 craft breweries cannot do this, and they're all in Minnesota because of this ridiculous law. Um, so what what you can do, you know, like you, you can with a lot of this sort of thing, just talk to your local legislators. You know, this is going to happen at the state level. Um, talk to your uh, representatives and your senators um, and for Minnesota and just say, you know, you support this Free the Growler. I think the Minnesota Craft Brewing uh organization you can google them they have like a template letter if you want but um let's see if we can make that happen for them yeah dan i think you're talking about the minnesota craft brewers guild thank you that can be found at mncraftbrew.org mncraftbrew.org the minnesota craft brewers guild let's get those growlers freed from those five breweries that this impacts which has got a three off the top of my head that's got to be Surly, Fulton, Castle, Danger. Does anybody know the other two? Any idea, Jerry? Spent paddle one of them by chance? I don't know. I don't know. Shells. Ooh, shells. Yeah, yes, Summit. Know. Or is Summit so big that they're, I don't know. Yeah. Summit has a tap room, so. Anyway, enough of our speculating on who else is uh, included in that, but some of our finer beer products are, are struggling amid the pandemic resulting from some of these blue laws. And so free the growler and now free the ant, free the ant. Let's talk <laughs> about the Minnesota Timberwolves. And I want to start off with a Carl Anthony Towns talker because prior to the Lakers game last night, the story was cat coming back and the Wolves immediately returning to at least competitive basketball form, even though he was a little, just, I would say just a shade rusty uh, coming out of, uh, back from a COVID uh, case. So Carl Anthony Towns, the person, the player, Jared, I'd like to start with you. What are you seeing from Cat upon his return? Yeah. Well, just first of all, I mean, incredible amount of, uh, mental fortitude for this guy just with everything he's gone through in, in the past year um so that alone is is and just coming back to play basketball is really uh you know give him a lot of credit for that um but just purely back on the back on the court he without putting up these gigantic games he still makes the whole rest of the team make sense everyone fits into a role and, and even without without russell right now um, everyone else just fits into a specific role and that Carl makes easier on them. Um, and so, you know, not only are we seeing him go back to being a huge presence inside, being an awesome floor stretcher uh, at the three-point line and playing solid defense, but everyone else seems to, even though they don't have really that chemistry yet, they just seem to know what they need to do. And it's it's much easier for them to do that. Uh, to play their role than it was before. It's And that's just very clear in watching the team. Yeah, and I think that the thing that's really cool is I don't think we could have gotten that impact from Cat like a couple of years ago. Do you remember when there was the whole issue of like passing out of double teams was a thing that you didn't see out of him? And it feels like we're seeing a version of Cat this year that is ready to unlock. And it's really good timing, actually, because we have some of the first really competent offensive pieces around him you know health and whatever pending but you know decision making so you, you see that he's not 
you know, we're sometimes getting a little frustrated about how many touches he's getting. No touches last night in the fourth quarter against LA, but he's making the right basketball plays. He's, you know, the, the, he's just very much under control. And when he does shoot, his efficiency is, is insane. I remember a comment uh, a couple of years ago when Dario was on the team about how his scoring was more impressive than Embiid's because he was doing it through two and three defenders every night because he literally didn't have any other <laughs> options, you know, and he was him taking the shot was always the best basketball play. And it still kind of is because he's that efficient, but now he's going like eight for 11. His just efficiency is insane, but then he's got Beasley in the corner or he's running a little, you know, a pick and roll action with Ant. And so it's just really cool to see him as sort of this patriarch of the family that's just kind of making these really good decisions. And he's playing under control and not seeing him have his little mini tantrums. It is also really cool to see. And I just think it really speaks of, you know, we were all sort of wondering if he was going to come out of this just horrendous off season, just having sort of matured. And I think we're seeing a lot of evidence of that. I think what we're seeing out of cat right now is nothing short of stunning. Jerry alluded to it on the uh, sort of the emotional side of things, but that coming the grief that he is, uh, still in the middle of experiencing, followed up by then having to go through his own uh, noted scary COVID case, as he mm-hmm. described it. And he's managing all of this trauma as well, that he's just carrying trauma. And we saw it with the uh, the game in Charlotte where I think it was P.J. Washington, a Charlotte player, was pulled at the last minute. And Kat was like, Ryan, I don't yeah. know if we should do it or not. And that He's keeping one foot in front of the other and still performing at just such a high level, despite that shows a tremendous amount of his character and, of course, his skill and talent. I'm curious to what, uh, and Jerry, let's start with you on this. What do you attribute sort of the lack of touches that Cat is getting at times, where you see often uh, other players having as many or more shots than, than he does uh, what's up with that? Yeah, in the past, um, it w- I think it was easier to get upset about when there was you know maybe less offensive talent uh, around him, and it was even more just uh, more evident that it was a really bad idea to not get him the ball. And it is harder to get a post player the ball when defense is locked down. I think a good example is is watching Embiid in the playoffs last year without Simmons. He was their guy. And the Celtics just swarmed him for that entire series. And they couldn't get him the ball down the stretch. And, and it's just tough to get a big guy the ball because um, they, you know, they don't go all the way out to half court just to just to get it and handle it. So with that, though, you know, a time like last night, I think Carl even said it in the postgame. You know, Ant is rolling, so let's get him the ball. But they don't quite have that that chemistry to know exactly how to play off each other. So when Ant is rolling, I mean, he's a 19 year old guy. He's going to, he's going to keep on, keep on trying to roll. And and so he at times missed Carl. And then with the defenses locking down so much, especially one like the Lakers, they, I mean, they force the ball to be shot by guys like Ricky and guys like Manderbilt. That's what the good defenses do. Um, they make it. So we're going to leave, make the if you keep making the simple play the simple play is going to be to your worst shooter your worst offensive player and i think really good defenses are able to overload on carl completely and over then they 
you know, in turn also overloading on Ant and Beasley a little bit, uh, and specifically to last night. And that's what forced guys like Rubio and Vanderbilt to be kind of the go-tos down the mm-hmm. stretch along with, along with Ant. So that's, there's, there's some things that can be done, I'm sure, to get Carl a little more involved when the defense isn't allowing it. Dan, were you bothered? Are you bothered by it at all? Were you bothered by it last night with the Lakers or in recent games? Or are you just, uh, where, where are you at with uh, Cat's kind of lack of touches in comparison to some other guys? I bother, I'm bothered by it in the sense that I would like to see him getting more shots in real time. I'm not as bothered in terms of projecting forward because I think it's similar. Like, you know, we're figuring this out on the fly. He's still what, seven games into the season, Mm -hmm. the line, the wolves, as of yesterday, I think they've played 247 lineups (laughs) thus far this year. They lead the league. And, uh, you know, even just in the number of games since he's been back, we started that run with Kogi was our starting power forward. And so as, as uh, Jerry was saying, you know, at that point you can really just like ignore two of the guys on the court and throw everyone at cat. And so at, we're currently figuring, I think it's a work in progress right now. What are we going to, you know, what are defenses doing to take him away and how are we going to do things to, to create space and, you know, being able to, I think having Vanderbilt or McDaniels in there as an option, because like, even if they're not, you know, even if Vanderbilt isn't like a threat for, from a spacing standpoint to have him rolling to the rim or, or whatever, you can definitely pull people away from cat and give him a little more space. But I think it's at this point, there's been just so much noise in our data points that I think that the team is playing catch up a little bit about how do we, how do we maximize cat again? And I think there's a little bit of him, you know, we, we, we see what happened with like how, how hard it was for Rubio to get a sense of the team around him and knowing where people are going to be and what's expected and sort of adjusting to that in terms of his role as a playmaker and the way cat is used, he's asked to be a playmaker. He's starting with the ball in his hands at the top of the key. And what's he going to do? Is he going to hand off and he's going to look for the open guy. And so I think he's probably learning, you know, that part of that, you know, is he making the best decision he can? He's figuring out some of that on the fly. And again, I, I don't think in most instances he was making, in maybe all instances, he was making the right basketball play last night. It was just a matter of how can we then do a better job drawing people away from him so he's got, you know, single coverage for just a few seconds. And, yeah, and, and I think it's not all about shots either. Go ahead, Jerry. I, I was just going to say, you said, you know, Cats played seven games. I think we, we've seen that and um the thing is it's not like it's just plugging him back into the same offense you know after missing 20 games or or so on the season um the game the first two games of the season with a fully healthy team were way different from the next two games he came back Mm -hmm. two weeks later were way different from the last four games i mean how many pick and rolls did he run with anthony edwards in his first four games that he played in the season probably single digits whereas he runs you know, and a game now over the last few games, the, it's not like he's had seven games to get used to Ant. He's had maybe three now, four maybe. Um, And so they're only going to keep getting better and better, but the the different from the games he played earlier in the season. For sure. All right. So now let's shift gears and talk about Anthony Edwards and what I like to call his coming out party against the Lakers, in particular that fourth quarter where he seemed to 
to catch fire and he brought that swagger and and joy and where do you see this going from here? So in light of D'Angelo Russell's going to be out for the next four to six weeks with uh, the surgery on his knee, and they've now moved Anthony Edwards into the, a role of initiating the offense on, on many plays. Dan, what happens from here, do you think, with the Wolves moving forward and this Anthony Edwards coming out party? But I don't know if I'll fully answer that right now, but I will position like our, the, the discussion to start. It's interesting. I just listened to Dane's Dane Moore's recap from, from last night. And he, he was sort of talking about, he was like, maybe get put in the cart in front of the horse a little bit, but like, Oh, so mm-hmm. what is, what does post cat Timberwolves yeah. look like, you know, cat leaves and sort of, we, you know, what, what if we start talking about, this is really, because, you know, maybe we have two, three more years with him and what does this look like if we build a team around Anthony Edwards and this new thing. But I'm going to say, if you recall um, our first couple podcasts, one of the things I was talking about was like, Hey, at what point do we, well, maybe it wasn't their first couple. It's but like our last podcast. You're like, what about the Jaden McDaniels era? <laughs> yeah. right, let's talk about the, the yeah, when does the Cat D'Lo timeline become the Jaden McDaniels, Anthony Edwards timeline? I was kind of kidding. Yeah. But but the uh, the one thing that I was saying at the beginning of the year and even before the beginning of the year was, you know, everyone's always concerned about, you know, what, oh, my God, what if Cat forces a trade? And it is discussed in terms as though – he's going to just buy and we're left in the cold. When you look at the history of these sorts of deals going down, you know what you're getting a ton of assets back. And so if something like that happened, it's, it's not really a doomsday scenario. It's, you know, cat would leave and suddenly you're building around this really freaking intriguing nucleus we now have. And so I think it's like, you know, we're sort of learning this year. You don't want all young guys. <laughs> so to the extent we, you know, have these other competent players still around, I think that's, that's great. But were it to come to that and head that direction, we're, we're set. But that, I, I do think that that's putting the cart ahead of the horse. Cause I don't think cat has actually given us any reason that he's, you know, looking elsewhere to this yeah. point in his career. So I'm not answering your question at all, but yeah. I'm saying that like, I guess what I'm saying is I'm pretty excited about, you know, Anthony Edwards getting a chance to shine here. Um, I will say there's some discussion about, you know, like uh, this is great. Now he's going to have a chance to shine since Delo is not here. When Delo comes back, you know, is there going to be this issue because, you know, people are not always super happy about the ball dominance of, of D'Lo and is he taking shots when he should be distributing and so on. And um, I'm going to go, I'm going to just throw an optimistic take out there and you guys can react to it. But I think in, in early part of this year, you were and really throughout D'Lo's career, he has not been surrounded by an incredibly sort of dynamic scores. I mean, like you look at golden state last year, Brooklyn, uh, you know, is obviously his, his, his best opportunity he had, but um you know, at the beginning of this year, I remember some interviews from him when he was talking about like he's really trying to get going early and kind of get bring everyone else along and get everyone going. And I don't think we really have reason to believe that he's an unwilling playmaker, an unwilling distributor of the ball. I think it's more we see him taking a high volume of shots, but look at the team that's been around him when he's been doing that. So mm-hmm. I think it's great. Ant is going to have this period of time to sort of explore, find out what he can do as a playmaker. But I, 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 you know, we're still talking about, there's two guys on the, on this, in the starting lineup where, 
you know, the, the, the defense is able to give a lot of attention to cat and Beasley and ant because you got two non-shooters, you know, it's like, I, I don't see where adding a guy you can't leave alone on the perimeter is a bad thing um, to this offense. Yeah. And I have a couple things on this and then I want to get your uh, thoughts, Jerry, is that one, I don't want to hear any talk of cat not being here. I think cat, <laughs> and I know that's not coming from you. You're really more referencing it, but that cat uh, and all of this, awesomeness that is potentially yeah. around him sounds uh, pretty fun to me. The uh, I think another nice side benefit of this uh, Anthony Edwards uh, emergence is that we can probably do away with those two ball handler lineups that have been so catastrophic <laughs> this year that, you know, he's, he is a, a pre- he's got a pretty good handle and B He's a, a willing passer and a pretty darn good passer. And and see, he's starting to show that at least the tools are there to mm-hmm. posterize somebody or uh, hit a three or set up other individuals. And so I think that the, uh, the options that this gives the Timberwolves moving forward in terms of better lineups and being able to sunset some of these experiments that haven't <laughs> worked as well is mm-hmm. nice. But Jerry, what are your thoughts on – uh, the Anthony Edwards situation now. Yeah. Well, first of all, I agree. I don't. I don't want to imagine a Carl Anthony Towns less less Tim Rolls world. But you, sorry to bring that up here. <laughs> no, I, I I listened to I listened to uh, Dane Moore's podcast religiously, and I, and I he's I think he's really smart, and I love the way he thinks about mm-hmm. about the team. And he's not thinking like, oh, this is what I would do. They'll trade Carl Anthony Towns. He's thinking about all you know, potential things that will come down the road and it may not even be a a situation where Carl asks out I don't really see that in him to do so um, unless things get really bad but it may be more a KG type of situation where he was never asking out but it was clear that it was just not gonna happen and that you know the team needed to get a return now I hope they don't get that return I like I like your statement. If things get really bad, things get really bad. Like they're really not right now. What what does that look like? Because I don't really understand. I should say things don't get appreciably better. Is maybe how I should put that. But uh, anyway, back to Ant. I mean, for this period of time while Delo's out, uh, I think they started off on the right foot. Just give the guy reps. Uh, I I follow. I'm sure as a lot of people. Um, Nikias Duncan and Steve Jones Jr. on Twitter who have their the Dunker Spot podcast and I think they both see the game really well and I've seen both of them put out kind of just some tweets and some sentiments over the last weeks with you know clips of Ant getting pick and roll reps and just saying just keep giving him reps just keep giving him reps because that's that's how he's going to learn and his optimal his ceiling you know if he hits his his best case scenario it's as an on-ball isolation or pick-and-roll score. It's not as a off-ball second option in an offense. And so if you really want him to get to where he's going to go, if you want him to be that number one option on a team, this these next six weeks, I'll say, with D'Lo out, you just give him give him the reps, give him the reps with a generational big like Carl and, and see where you get. And, and when D'Lo comes back, he's not – he's never given me the impression that he's going to come back in and say, no, I'm the guy who needs the ball, who's going to win us every game. He's, I think he really is a, a true point guard who likes to take the reins when he feels that it's necessary, but 
I mean, if, if Anthony Edwards is going to do anything close to what he did last night, I don't see D'Lo coming back in and saying, okay, it's my turn again. I mean, he's going to come back in and be a great off-ball you know, threat, a great spot-up threat. And when Anthony Edwards has to sit or has to, you know, God forbid, gets injured or anything like that, you know, it's really nice to have a guy like D'Angelo Russell. Yeah, knock on wood. Really <laughs> nice. It's really nice to have a guy like D'Angelo Russell as your, you know, second creator. These these things, they build on each other exponentially. And if everyone gets pushed down a peg, then they're that much, you know, in a perfect world, I should say, then they're that much more qualified for the role that you're putting them in. So I see it only as a good thing to just feed Edwards over the next six weeks. And then if he, if all goes well, just keep feeding him when Delo's back. Yeah. And, and, and I don't, you know, we, we don't know, we don't know how that is going to play out for sure when Delo comes back, but it does sort of feel like there's a lot of projection, like people sort of seizing on something that like this set of circumstances is there. We saw this occur. And so we're assuming that this is how he's going to, you know, this is how he's going to play even though it was maybe a very different set of circumstances where they, that evidence was derived from. One thing I thought was uh, kind of interesting is at, at some point along the line, it's, and I think might've been Dane who had said that the real comp for when there had been that Wiggins ant comp before the season began, which you know, how ridiculous does that look now? And Dane had been saying, no, the real comp is, is uh, Zach Levine which you can see a little bit more of that in terms of just sort of personality and buoyancy and so on. But man, when you think about that playmaking, do you remember the, the Zach Levine as point guard experiment? That rookie. <laughs> and we love Zach Levine, but you know, I, I am seeing a ceiling that's actually quite a bit higher in terms of court vision, in terms of, um, playmaking and so on. And like Zach is having a tremendous offensive year this year. So that's to say that like you see ants ceiling higher, it's, you know, getting a little ahead of myself. Um, but in terms of being a more, a much more well-rounded player, I think that that is something I could definitely see if things break right. And the emotional maturity of this 19 year old, uh, when you look at the future of that on a team that has lacked mature leadership since the KG era, <laughs> really, I mean, Rubio stepped in and filled a, a nice void there. Um, but to have, you know, one of your best players also be uh, likely in the future, your uh, emotional center that keeps everybody balanced, that keeps everybody up, that keeps that will probably eventually keep people in line as well uh, is, is really exciting as well. And so I, this, here's what I do if I'm the, the Timberwolves moving forward is, you know, right now we are six games out of the 10th spot, which is a play in game spot. Not really trying to get there. It's probably not realistic, but it's also not entirely out of reach yet. You're not mathematically eliminated until you're mathematically eliminated. And we are only six games out of a play-in game spot. But because D'Lo's out and the season is likely not one where you're going to do much damage, even if you were to win a play-in game, so I think you got to be closing every game with Anthony Edwards, of course. But I want Jane McDaniels in there as well. I want these young guys who are the future alongside Cat, 
D'Lo and Beasley, uh, getting that experience in now of learning how to close games, look, blowing the game and learning why you did and uh, getting those closing reps too. I just, every, every, I would invest in that. And I think it probably gives you your best chance to, to win as well. If you're closing with uh, McDaniels as well. And I'm not the X's and O's uh, expert either, but I think from a long-term benefit, uh, of course, Ant's going to be closing now, but I want McDaniels closing these games as well. It is funny. You know how it, it, I t- talked all along, you know, people like everything's misery, everything's terrible, everything. And like talking about the, the uh, Phoenix in the bubble phenomenon where they didn't even make the playoffs, but they came out of the bubble experience with all the momentum in the world because they went on a winning streak and things were looking positive. I feel like we, we had the Phoenix bubble bump based on a loss to LA last night. That's how fast people, you know, the most negative voices in the world turn. It's like we lost and we're like all excited about the future. And so it, it does seem like if we made a push and like grab that, that, 10 spot which i mean for god's sake we've been playing without cat and now we're playing with cat so who knows maybe it is possible and that happens can you imagine the energy that we'll get out of that but even if we don't finishing strong like getting more promising performances for for our you know youngest players and 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 just getting that energy going it's man we could leave this season with a lot of positive vibes and then maybe you bring D'Lo back in and it's you know great guns for the last 20 games or whatever like woo. so so before we get into Dan's Timberwolf power rankings the final question I have is is it just me or is this team's team starting to find a little rhythm and more importantly getting a little bit fun I right now I feel about this team kind of like I felt about those early cat Wiggins uh Levine like oh man you can like see the potential here and I think you know Dan you and I've talked about the reason that we watch basketball more than anything is just fun it's entertainment it's opportunity for camaraderie with each other and other fans and that we love basketball and that even if a team winning is fun but sometimes like just a fun team is fun and it seems to me that with Anthony Edwards being who he is Jane McDaniel showing this kind of two-way prowess offense and defense uh Jay Mack really uh, being a fun guy to, to cheer for, being a fun guy to cheer for and uh, having a gunner like Malik Beasley doing what he's doing from the three-point line in addition to Cat. Uh, this team's a little fun, right? Are you, are you starting to have fun, Jerry, or are you, uh, are you still shaking off the cobwebs of another Timberwolves 7 and 20 starts, you know? Oh, I, I always have fun. If I can watch some of the games, especially from last season with Cat injured and you're starting Shabazz Napier and – Gorgie Jang, bless his heart, love Gorgie Jang, but you're starting him and and all those other guys. If I can have fun watching, then I better be able to have fun now. And and you're you're right about them hitting hitting a rhythm, and it's not a rhythm of rattling off three wins every four games, whatever. It's it's this is gonna sound just like the lowest bar in the world, but it's it's rhythm of just every game is a competitive game. Ever since it was the um, Philadelphia game when they got blown out by and Joel Embiid shot 40 free throws. Um, ever since then, every game has been competitive. Even in that Dallas game when they were getting blown out, they came back and made it made it fun. And and absolutely, they are fun. Every game is coming down to 
the end. It has coincided mostly with Anthony Edwards getting put into the starting lineup and getting a lot more chances, which you know, mm. take that however however you want to. But um, the team is absolutely fun. And if you know if people can't find fun in watching this team, I, I understand the record. We're not sitting here waiting for moral victories when we're Timberwolves fans because there's, there's too many of those. Um, without real victories, but I mean, it's legitimately fun to watch 19 and 20 year olds, you know, standing up to the Los Angeles Lakers and trying to throw down mean dunks and trying to stuff LeBron James at the rim. I mean, it's legitimately fun and I don't know how you can't have fun watching it. Yeah. I I think like, uh, I'm not a, the football fan I used to be, but we'll still, if I don't have something going on with my family, I'll watch a Vikings game. And this last year was a kind of sad season there, but Justin Jefferson receiver was so exciting in and of himself. It's like, you kind of want to tune in just like, what might this guy do? And, and that's a kind of cool thing that like, apart from the larger arc of, you know, what we're following and what our goals for the season are and watching development and seeing progress as a team, there's something cool. And it goes back to that. Why do we watch basketball and like to be, to see live the next time Anthony Edwards just explodes or you see uh, Jane McDaniels block LeBron James or something. It's like, wow, that's just that, that moment apart from anything else that's happening during this game, that was just fun as hell to see that happen. And so it's, yeah, right now it is simply a fun team to watch. All right. Are we ready for Dan's Minnesota Timberwolf power rankings? Dan, are you are you ready to give us your most controversial Timberwolf power rankings ever? I, I gotta say, there's there's a guy I'm not seeing in here that genuinely makes me angry. So you have mm. done your job in being controversial here. Dan, give us a uh, number five on your uh, Timberwolf power rankings. Uh, number five, I'm going to Vanderbilt. Um, I think sort of uh, buried in some of the other excitement of Cat's return and um, the emergence of Anthony Edwards as a more consistent uh, force is uh, Vanderbilt, who is a plus defender still on the year and him coming in there. And even if he's not a threat, from a floor spacing standpoint, he's, you know, you can't leave him alone next to the basket <laughs> and uh, his energy. And there is a case to be made that um, the infusion of his energy into what, what, you know, cause we saw some listless team performances earlier in the year and that there might've been some infectiousness from his energy that really um, push this team into this regular competitiveness that Jerry was talking about. So he's number five. And I do want to remind people what, how Dan handles his power rankings that it's not the five best players on the Minnesota Timberwolves, although it might be the five best performers, but it's who has the buzz, who has, who's, who's getting the Minnesota Timberwolves fan base excited. Who's uh, who's generating the talkers. And so uh, Vando is number five for Dan. Dan, number four, this one, I, I think this is where your controversy might be coming from. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I put Ricky Rubio in there. So we, we're coming off two really solid Rubio games mm-hmm. and he, him finding his, him, him finding his Rickiness again is kind of the, what this is. This position at number four is, um, you know, he has not been the player, that we expect him to be since he's been back. 
And then this sort of budding bromance between Ricky and Ant is just too, too precious for words. And, uh, you know, he's going to be, he's going to be holding down the fort and letting, you know, sort of orchestrating and, and letting all these other pieces uh, work the way they need to in the absence of, of D'Lo for the next couple of months. So I, yeah, I'm, I'm putting Rubio at number four. Jerry, any pushback on Dan's uh, power ranking through two positions here? I don't. I mean, I'm assuming Jordan McLaughlin's number one, so I'm sure we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> no, I, I, I love the, the two picks so far. Vanderbilt, um, the Jim Peterson made, I mean, Jim Peterson makes every great point ever. I yeah. think Jim Peterson <laughs> is a really smart basketball mind. He made the point that starting Vanderbilt over a Kogi is so much more, adds so much more value because while teams were leaving a Kogi alone at the three point line, you can't leave Vanderbilt alone next to the rim. Yeah. Well, not, not necessarily. A, well, <laughs> one, one or two. Lay, 18 two. inches away is not right next to <laughs> one or two layups aside. I'm just messing. Yeah. Most of the time. Yeah. And you, you can't leave him alone next to the rim. You can't leave any player alone next to the rim. And yeah. that's, that's where Vando goes. He goes to the, the dunker spot. And I just think it's, it's kind of counterintuitive to have a player down there somehow opening up your offense, but it 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 just does when you have an, a legitimate dunker threat down there. So I, I agree right. with him being five. Spacing cool. next to the rim is also space. Right, there's space next to the rim. It is okay. There's only, only so much space along the perimeter. And shocker, that's a really efficient place to score baskets is yeah. right, right next to the rim. And then Rubio, I mean regardless of, of what he's done on the court, um, especially the last few games, after pretty much every dead ball, you see him him talking to his his bro, Ant, his his best his new best friend, his spiritual guide apparently. Um, <laughs> you see him talking to Ant and, and giving advice or, or whatever after every whistle. And I don't really know how much that can be measured, but I assume listening to Ricky Rubio impart his wisdom is is valuable for a 19 year old who's played with Donovan Mitchell and Devin Booker and you know, even Wiggins and Levine. He's been in that role before to impart his wisdom on those guys. So um, I love him at number four too. I'm all good. It's pretty, fun. it's pretty amazing to see stuff like just Rubio's arc over the last two weeks. Rosas goes from looking like a fool to a genius. You know? <laughs> And again, that's how like, the whole thing about like letting things play out and how does this, how is all this transpiring over the long term and not like smaller sample sizes? Because wow, you know, well, I guess, you know, maybe I guess you could make the argument maybe we would be doing just fine if it was Jordan McLaughlin instead of Rubio, but it's so, yeah, that's my pushback to myself. But anyway, oh, number three. Yeah, number three, Dan. All right. I'm going Malik Beasley, who you could arguably and until, you know, he, he had a kind of subpar game last night, but he could have arguably uh, been number one, you know, most consistent Timberwolves performer this year by everyone's account outperforming that contract, uh, that contract he was given in the off season. Uh, but for him to be like, wow, you know, <laughs> the Denver let him go and kept, you know, Gary Harris and you can't really complain about Jamal Murray, but Man, I mean, well, yeah, they yeah. basically chose Will Barton over him more than. Oh, is he, yeah, 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 you're right. Yeah, you're right. So, but anyway, it's it's been exciting to see him be more 
than we maybe thought he could be. And he's just, he's not cooling down from that, uh, from that corner three spot. So you guys are better basketball minds than me. So here's my question on Malik Beasley (laughs) is that I love Malik Beasley. I love his game. I love his attitude. Uh, And, but it seems to me that so many of Malik Beasley's shots come from there's action elsewhere on the court. He moves to a spot. They find him in his spot. And I would, I wonder, is there a world where Malik Beasley can be used a bit like Reggie Miller used to be used or early Steph Curry, where it's coming a lot more around picks or on the move or in like that Ray Allen style of, I still realize that's action off the ball, but I feel like he's so much spot up action rather than moving action is either a, I'm just not seeing it because I've got a baby in my hands at the time or B, uh, we're just not using him in that way. And is that because he's not all that good on the move uh, in that way? Jerry, do you know? I, I think, no, I, I actually think he's great on the move. And he is, he's said he, he's taken a lot of time to study footwork and that core strength that it takes to be that incredible off-the-move shooter. And that's what makes you know, Clay Thompson and J.J. Redick so good. It's, it's not so much the, I mean, the shooting stroke. Those guys, you have to have it to be an elite shooter. But it's the it's the footwork. It's getting yourself in position to go straight up with the shot. And and he's got it. I mean, there there was that play last night, especially in transition. He runs straight to the corner, and he's still moving. He's sprinting there. Um, and he gets up, and he nails those with consistency. I think that it's sometimes a lack of um, a lack of other weapons on the floor and I think we'll see him be used a little more like that uh, as we as we move forward but I think there was a little while um, where it was if you're a defense you're saying hey Malik Beasley when he's moving off the ball swarm him and if he don't let him because he's he's their three-point threat especially when D'Lo has been out and so I think that teams have been loading up to stop that uh, mm. much more than than we would think for a, a guy of Malik Beasley's status in the league. And so I think as Ant and Carl get a better rhythm, I think they'll start being able to run those off-ball actions as they kind of fake pick and rolls on one side. They can run an off-ball action on the other side that the defense isn't paying attention to because they're paying attention to Ant and Carl. And, and hopefully – he can get a few more open looks. But to answer the basic question, yes, I think he can be used like that. Um, I, and maybe some of this can can be answered by some of what you're saying about how people have been loading up on him a little bit more. But I, I do feel like this year he has been a little less of a sort of three-level scorer than I – thought he was capable of and i was actually just a second ago googling you know malik beasley wingspan because it sort of it does feel like he has uh he has some trouble getting shots off in traffic and and at the rim and he, it ends up like he he heads in where it seems like there's space and he ends up having to put the ball like really high on the glass and it ends up being a kind of low percentage shot i don't think his finishing his his a shot at the rim shooting percentage is great. He's certainly capable of it. He can, you know, he can dunk, he can, uh, he can, you know, he's quick, but I think like long-term given some of the other skill sets on the team, I do think his best use by far is going to be, you know, moving to a spot and making somebody pay for collapsing on, you know, cat or ant. Um, and whether he's happy with that, you know, being used primarily that way, we'll see. But, um, 
I think he's really good at moving without the ball, but I, I think that some of those, you know, like when you talk about like a Reggie Miller or whatever, he was just so long, you know, and he had some of that sort of that, the Sam Cassell, you know, that craft at, or Kevin Martin at like getting off balance shots up at weird angles and drawing fouls. And I, Beasley doesn't strike me as like that, having that sort of craftiness. He's more just like an assassin, you know, that like go out, do this, nail it but not sort of like hunting around for angles and stuff so all right number two in your power rankings dan i'm going with someone who could have been number one but i'm i'm going with cat um just everything we said earlier we don't need to rehash everything but coming back the efficiency the um self-possession and everything that we're seeing out of him and and just like making the entire team better and giving us a much bigger chance of being able to win any night he takes the floor and number one in this week's or episodes power rankings is Anthony Edwards. So uh, what more to say? We had a whole segment about him, but we kind of just saw, as you said, his coming out party. Um, Our hopes for him for the future are through the roof. I can't do anything other than put him at number one right now. And so I want to find out why you're so pissed. Well, Gary, (laughs) I I usually give a sixth man, which I will. But as our guest, I want to give you a seventh man and then I will bring in a sixth man to, to round this out. Who's a, or actually, no, I don't want to give you a seventh man. I want you to take somebody off of Dan's list and put <laughs> somebody, and put somebody on it. Yeah. Take, some, take someone out, take someone off and put someone on. Okay. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we are going to go. I mean, I joked about it earlier, but I'm putting Jordan McLaughlin on the list in number five for, for Vanderbilt. And I mean, it's um, it, it's kind of inexplicable how important- you left him off the list. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it, it's kind of inexplicable, inexplicable how important he is to the to the team, and I mean to the bench unit especially. When I mean when Jalen Noel is not scoring, which he was not last night, mm-hmm. and he's he's kind of an enigma in that way, where he's either really good or he's airballing threes which is interesting but he's 21 years old so he'll i think he'll be just fine but i mean j-mac is it's really weird to say a five foot ten point guard is is the fifth most important player on your team and he's on a two-way contract but um man he just he's a gamer and jim pete says it every single game like this guy is so incredibly skilled and for, to do what he does at, at his height and sizes is crazy. So I, I got yeah, no, I got no complaint with that. That's yes. A, I have a man crush on Jordan McLaughlin. Yes. I own <laughs> one of the sweatshirts from his gay Mac merch club. It's uh, it's, it's just what I, it's what I do. All right. So here, the reason I was so angry, Dan, is that uh, I'm going to take Jerry's J Mac from five in place of Vando, except for I'm going to move J Mac to four. Rubio's off the island for now. That Nas Reed is not on this list is egregious. <laughs> I feel like Nas Reed has actually um, been a little, having a little trouble finding his footing with uh, Cat being back on, on the his team. Feet and- after mi- driving to the basket. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, actually, I've been noticing like Nas is like, you know, his like when he just like spins quicker than you think he or like rolls to the basket, like heads in like a freight train. He's been like missing those a little lately in a way that it seems like he wasn't so much earlier. I love Nas. And I've said that you know, like any any question in the posed by anyone about the NBA that asks which player needs to be answered with that Nas Reed video <laughs> by uh, Jake's graphs. Um, but yeah, yeah, I feel like he's had a couple underwhelming games yeah. and yeah, he just, he was on a, he was on a roll there for a while. That's why I would have had him as my sixth man, but nevertheless, well, that's Dan's Timberwolves power rankings. Anything else? Anybody? I'm just going to mention that I think I want to go back through and find out who I had in the earlier episodes. I'm going to, I'm going to put these in a spreadsheet and like have a graph and just, we can maybe like later in the year check in and see how people are trending and who's off and when are they back on how many number ones they had. I like that (laughs) track those sixth men as well. So Nas gets the sixth man uh, nod and make sure to note Jerry's uh, Jordan McLaughlin uh, addition as well to the power rankings. Enough time we can get every player on the team. So uh, listed here. Have we seen? Oh yeah, we even Ed Davis did make an early. Remember, like two days preseason, Ed Davis is like everyone is like, oh, I always admired Ed Davis. (laughs) Ed Davis on this team. Yep. So, all right. Well, that will do it, I think, for our seventh episode of Timberwolves Tip to Tap. Uh, I am pretty active on Twitter under the handle tip to tap, where you spell out the word to. And I am Josh Dye with the Convened Training and Resilience Community. Again, thank you for joining us. And if you can think think of anybody else who might want to join us for uh, Minnesota Timberwolves and Minnesota Craft Beer Talk, please let them know about us. Jerry from balleyesnorth.com. Thank you for joining us today and for your contribution to the show. Jerry is, has a nice little home on the internet for Timberwolves uh, talk as well as resources linking out to other interesting things as well. So make sure to check out balleyesnorth.com as well as at balleyesnorth on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks again for tuning in. All right, everyone, let Castle Danger mellow you out and mellow out your takes. Be reasonable, be magnanimous, and keep it fun, everyone. Go Wolves. Jerry, you can join us for a howl. Ooh.